Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness. It's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. COVID facts versus COVID propaganda. It's episode 200 of the Vitality Radio podcast. This is a special episode that will not air on radio. I hope you are buckled in. We're going to talk about the facts. We're going to talk about the propaganda here on Vitality Radio. I'm Jared St. Clair. I'm your host each and every week, whether it be online or it be on the radio. I'm on one of those or both of those places every week, but only on the podcast do you get to hear all the episodes and all the evidence. So that's what we're bringing you today. I'm excited to do this episode for a few reasons. One is it's episode number 200, kind of a milestone, I think. And the listenership of Vitality Radio has jumped substantially over the last several months. Uh, Our downloads are up by more than double. It's very exciting. And I appreciate you because I believe it is you who is sharing the show with your friends and family members, coworkers, and whatnot. And I believe that is the primary driver as to why we are growing. Now, another way to help with the show that I would absolutely appreciate is if you not only share it, but if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave me a five-star review saying why you like Vitality Radio. That makes a big difference in Apple suggesting the show to other people. Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful at 107 South, 500 West. We are here for you as we have been the last 44 plus years to help you with all your health and wellness needs. If you have questions about anything you hear on the show, give us a call, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. As long as you can hear me, we can help you with what you are after when it comes to improving your own health and ultimately gaining the most vitality that you are capable of. That's what we do at Vitality Nutrition. And it's my favorite part of what I do, helping people one-on-one. Okay, so today's show has other reasons for me to be excited contained within uh, the a, a couple of them. I'm now on radio in Cedar City for the first time in 13 years. We're working to spread the word even further on other radio stations. I'll let you know if and when that happens. I also have a project that I'm going to just give you a little hint about today without spilling the whole beans, but there is a set being built and there are characters being developed and it's a very much a satirical uh, portion of what I will be doing. It will be video, not audio. And let's just say, I hope my acting skills are up to snuff. I don't know when this is going to release. We're going to experiment with it next week. We're going to be doing a bunch of different stuff, having some fun with it. And I will certainly make sure you are the first to know. 
The other thing I'm excited about is that when I do a Vitality Radio special episode that is not on the radio, I don't have to worry about the censorship that happens when I am on the radio. And therefore, I can speak my piece as plainly and comfortably as I want to without risking being blackballed like I could potentially be on the radio. So let's get right down to it. COVID facts versus COVID propaganda. Here come the fact checkers. Okay, so here's a story that was fact checked. There are so many. I found dozens and dozens and dozens. And I picked just a couple that kind of go together that hopefully will give you the basis of why I have so much distaste for the quote unquote fact checkers. Fact checkers should always have quotes around it, just like experts, especially when it comes to COVID, because what they say they are and what they actually do, uh, yeah, never the two shall meet. So here's the fact. Vaccinated people need to be concerned that unvaccinated people are a problem for them the meme that was being uh, distributed and has been distributed, I've seen it many times on social media, was if you think an unvaccinated person is a threat to a vaccinated person, then you don't believe in vaccines. So that's the meme. Let's see what the fact check is. Is a vaccinated person wrong to believe an unvaccinated person is a threat to their health? No, that's not true. No vaccine is 100% effective, so the vaccinated person is still at risk of infection. And at the time this post appeared, unvaccinated people were most likely to carry the infection. Hard stop right there. That is not true. Now, I unfortunately, there was not a date on this, so I don't know when it was released. So maybe there was some evidence, and it's a soft maybe there. But maybe there was some evidence that that was the case, that unvaccinated people were most likely to carry the infection. But we now know that the viral load carried by the vaccinated is actually higher than the viral load carried by the unvaccinated. That has been proven in more than one study. So disregard that fake fact that is replacing the potential real fact. The next statement during a pandemic with airborne viruses circulating from person to person, a vaccinated person can still be infected. That's true. Hey, nice job. There's a fact you can go and tell your mom about. Vaccine makers, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Food and Drug Administration, and medical professionals are unanimous in saying the vaccines are not 100% effective and that even vaccinated people should take precautions to avoid exposure to the SARS-CoV-2 virus since breakthrough infections have been documented. There's another fact. Well done. So we have one at least half truth, if not complete fabrication, and two actual facts. I'm only going to clarify one thing, and that is that vaccine makers, the CDC, the Food and Drug Administration, and medical professionals, they could have just said all the people who work together in the propaganda department for COVID-19 because all of those people are saying the same thing. They always say the same thing. And so, of course, they're going to say the same thing. No need to list them all, especially considering the Food and Drug Administration itself. The FDA gets over 60% of its budget from 
the vaccine makers, the pharmaceutical companies. So in essence, they're essentially a subsidiary of Big Pharma. And of course, the FDA is a subsidiary of the Centers for Disease Control or really the NIH. So anyway, for what that's worth, the claim, they say, circulated an anti-vaccine meme, including the version that I read earlier, which originally hit on June 17th of 2021. And again, it said, if, let's see, if you think an unvaccinated person is a threat to a vaccinated person, then you don't believe in vaccines. That's what the meme said. The meme recycles a common misperception that vaccines are fake unless they kill all the virus a vaccinated person encounters. Now, I don't think that any thinking person and trust me, there are a lot of people not thinking right now, but I don't think any thinking person has ever said that a vaccine is fake if it doesn't kill all of the virus a vaccinated person encounters. The question is, does a vaccine make somebody less susceptible in a significant way that outweighs the potential risks of said vaccine? And that has been the question all along, and that is a question that I believe is being more clearly answered every day and not in a positive way. So then they talk down to us and say, vaccines don't work that way, nor does your immune system, even when beefed up by a vaccine. Early reports on a study of the effectiveness of the major U.S. vaccines indicated that they are 82% effective against symptomatic COVID-19 after the first shot and 94% effective after the second dose. Now, there's all kinds of issues with those numbers, but I've talked about those before on Vitality Radio, so I shall move to the next paragraph. Yale Medicine conducted a review of effectiveness, finding the Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J vaccines were all in the field performing about as well as the pre-approval clinical studies had predicted, powerful enough to slow the spread of the pandemic that had killed more than 600,000 Americans by the date this fact check was written. None of the vaccines are 100% effective and no knowledgeable medical professional has said they are. That is true. Another excellent fact. But the statement right before that one, powerful enough to slow the spread of the pandemic that has killed more than 600,000 Americans. Well, is it? Is it powerful enough? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not sensing that the pandemic is slowing down any. As I talked about on last week's episode, episode 198, where I talked about what actually might be effective for COVID-19. I talked about the dreaded Omicron, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But this pandemic doesn't seem to be slowing down any. So are the vaccines slowing it down? Because we have over 200 million Americans or thereabouts that have been vaccinated. So is it slowing it down? Has it slowed it down in Israel where 80% of the population is vaccinated? I don't know. I the numbers don't seem to say so. So while the vaccines greatly reduce the spread of infection, I love that, greatly reduce the spread of infection. Do they? Where's the proof? Show me the proof, fact checker. You're a fact checker. You should have facts, checking your facts, or do you just say stuff? So while the vaccines greatly reduce the spread of infection, there are still instances in which a vaccinated person has become ill with COVID-19. Yeah, instances. These are called breakthrough infections. Now, this was written a few months ago, but have you noticed that they aren't saying breakthrough infections much anymore because there's so many of them that breakthrough seems like a word that 
has kind of become passe when it comes to describing the effectiveness of these vaccines. The CDC is looking for patterns in patient characteristics, age, medical condition, the specific vaccine received, and the specific SARS-CoV-2 variant that caused breakthrough patients' infections. On a public information page about the small percentage, I love these words, the small percentage of vaccine recipients who still contract an infection, the CDC says vaccine breakthrough cases are expected. COVID-19 vaccines are effective and are a critical tool to bring the pandemic under control. However, no vaccines are 100% effective at preventing illness in vaccinated people. There will be a small percentage of fully vaccinated people who still get sick, are hospitalized, or die from COVID-19. Now, if that sounds foreign to you compared to what we've been taught about vaccines for the last 60 years or so, it's because they've talked about how vaccines brought an end to polio. They brought an end to measles and so on. So apparently some vaccines are 100% effective and actually create herd immunity, or at least according to what they say. Now, is that true? Well, you can be the judge of that, but one thing doesn't necessarily equate to the other. In fact, when the COVID-19 vaccines came out, they changed the definition of what a vaccine is on the CDC's website to make it much more explicit that these vaccines were not actually designed to stop an infection just to reduce the severity of said infection. In the summer of 2021, when the memes circulated, U.S. public health agencies said the spread of COVID-19 was most rapid in communities with low vaccination rates, making this a pandemic of the unvaccinated. That is my favorite one to talk about. A pandemic of the unvaccinated. What does that mean? Have you heard that before? Of course you've heard it before. If you have ears, you've heard that before. So one thing you will notice if you're looking for it is that they never offer a reference of any kind when they make these statements. You know, pandemic of the unvaccinated, best protection is getting vaccinated or boosted, that sort of thing. But they love to call anything counter to their propaganda misinformation. And then they often fact check it like they just did. But have you noticed that nobody in mainstream media or social media is fact-checking Dr. Fauci or Joe Brand Biden, sorry, or the WHO or Pfizer or Moderna or J&J. Those guys never get fact-checked ever. They say what they want to say. They say it as much as they want to say it. And big media and social media, they just give them a free pass. You can say whatever you want, even if it's not true. But... If you use facts and you say anything that counters the narrative that's being put out by those people, then that's when you get fact-checked. And maybe that's the point. Maybe it is that Dr. Fallacy, maybe what he does is he just says stuff. He doesn't use facts. He just uses hyperbole or ideas or concepts that he thinks sound good when the media is interviewing him. And because he's not using facts, then the fact checkers can't fact check something that isn't factual. Is that how it works? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm mad at the fact checkers for no good reason. Maybe they only fact check actual facts. 
except that when they do check actual facts, they do a horrible job of it, calling things partially true or untrue and proving it by saying things like this. U.S. public health agencies said the spread of COVID-19 was most rapid in communities with low vaccination rates, making this a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Yeah, right. But at no time do they ever follow up that statement with a statement like this. The fact that you are considered unvaccinated until two weeks after your second shot, not partially vaccinated, unvaccinated. Did you know this? You are considered and counted as unvaccinated until a full two weeks after your second shot, if we're talking about Moderna and the Pfizer shots, which are the two most prevalent shots being given. So what if you get sick on day 13 after your second shot? Then you count as unvaccinated. But if the fully vaccinated carry a higher viral load than the unvaccinated, which they do, and that is actually clinically proven, meaning it's a fact, so they better check me on this, then wouldn't it make sense, even without a study, that many, if not most, of the so-called unvaccinated are actually fully vaccinated, as in two shots, but not counted as fully vaccinated because it hasn't been 14 days after the second shot? Also, wouldn't it stand to reason that if someone is injured by the vaccine, which so far According to VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, 1,033,992 reports have been filed showing that these people have been injured. And those people don't get the second shot because they got injured by the first one, many of them. Many of them got injured by the second one. And I don't know if there's a way to parse that out, to be honest with you, what percentage of the million reports are first shot versus second shot or Moderna versus Pfizer versus J&J. The numbers are probably there, but I'm not sure how to find that. I'll have to dig into that a little bit. But let's just say that it's a few hundred thousand people. I don't know how many it is, but it's somewhere in that million range. And of course, of course, of course, this is important. We know that the vast majority of people that have been injured by these shots do not report it to VAERS because they don't know VAERS even exists or their doctors have convinced them that it wasn't the shot or whatever. But if those people get COVID after they've had one vaccine, do they also count as unvaccinated? Yes, they do, of course. So that means the people who are injured by the shot are also considered unvaccinated, even though they've clearly been vaccinated or they could not be injured by the shot. And in that number are 21,745 people that have died, according to VAERS, over 5,000 of which have died within 48 hours of getting vaccinated. But those deaths count as unvaccinated too, 21,745. And what of the ones who have died? It's estimated that it's probably closer to 100,000 now according to many experts, you know, the actual ones, the ones that get fact-checked a lot, Dr. McCullough, Dr. Malone, folks like them. They say it's probably over 100,000 people that have died, all of which considered unvaccinated if they died within 14 days of their second shot. And when people like me write or podcast about those numbers, we are fact-checked. And the CDC has a simple answer for all the dead and injured. And that is that there's no conclusive causal evidence 
that they were harmed by the vaccine. It could simply be coincidence. Well, I don't know about you, but I've never seen more deaths in my lifetime from coincidence than I am seeing over the last year. But here's the problem with this two-way street. One direction is fully blocked. So what should be traffic flowing both ways in an open debate about the truth and the facts, it's only flowing one way. Because in the American justice system, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. But in the American pharmaceutical regulatory system, a drug is considered guilty of harm until it is proven that it is safe. Until now, these vaccines are not proven safe. Sorry. Let me restate that. Until now, because these vaccines are not proven safe, they are given a pass as if they are safe with statements like no conclusive evidence that they caused any harm, injury, or death. But no conclusive evidence that they didn't doesn't make them safe. It just means that they don't know if they're safe. And I can tell you that the VAERS system has never, in all the vaccines that have ever been used in America since 1986, the VAERS system has never seen anything close to this. These injuries, deaths, and uh, reports far outnumber with the COVID vaccines, all of the other vaccines ever used since 1986 in this country. It's one of those, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire kind of deals. And what about myocarditis? Because that's one they actually admitted to. We're told things that like, you know, it's mild myocarditis, which of course, there's no such thing as mild myocarditis. Did you know that prior to these vaccines, myocarditis was always considered significant? That there was no such term as mild myocarditis? They say mild and temporary when they literally have no evidence that they are mild or temporary. Because nobody has had the mild myocarditis for more than a year yet. How do we know if it's temporary? And that's one of the only things they've admitted to at all is that maybe these vaccines might cause mild but temporary myocarditis. For a true story on the effects of vaccine injury, I would highly suggest you go back and listen to my interview with Breanne Dressen episode 183 of the Vitality Radio podcast, where I discuss with an actual human being who's actually been injured and was in the trial for one of these vaccines and was not included in the results of the trial. Why was she not included? Because they took her out after she got injured. Does that seem how a trial should go? If you haven't heard episode 183, I strongly encourage you to listen to it. Brianne and I have got to know each other quite well. I've been keeping very close track of her and how her health is doing and the crusade she's on to bring this kind of information, you know, the kind that gets fact-checked, to the public. Because her and over 12,000 other vaccine injured that belong to her group are speaking out. In fact, Brianne, this weekend... On the 23rd of January, 2022, is in Washington, D.C. for a huge event protesting the lies and propaganda circulating around COVID-19. There will be videos to come, and I will share how to get more information about this event once it's happened and you can see what's, what's going on. But 
they're out there, they're marching, and I would anticipate if you're looking for that on CNBC or MSNBC or NBC or CNN, you're not going to find any. It's going to be radio silence. Okay, let's talk about the next propaganda lace story from Yahoo News. Quoting a Dr. Sunit Singh, an MD and emergency room physician and medical director of Care Hive Health in Austin, Texas, on Omicron, which I discussed in some detail in episode 198 if you want to know more about Omicron itself. So I won't go into more detail, but he says, if you do have symptoms such as a runny or stuffy nose, sore throat, cough, or fever, it is very important to get tested as soon as possible and stay at home while you wait for your results, Dr. Singh says. And what should I do if I catch it? If you test positive for COVID-19, no matter the variant, it's important to consult with your doctor about the best treatment path forward for you as an individual, Dr. Singh says. You can safely do this with a virtual visit to limit your exposure to others while you're sick. Not only is this more convenient than unnecessarily heading to the ER or urgent care, it also is likely going to be far cheaper. Well, there's there's truth in that. He started out with a couple of things. Now, I would disagree on the test, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he says, during this visit, you may be prescribed one of the two new anti-COVID medications that recently became available on the market earlier this year. You know, the ones that are not really that proven to be safe or effective yet? <laughs> Those ones. He explains your team will also work with you to determine if you're a candidate for monoclonal antibody therapy. Yes, of course. Now that we have very expensive and almost completely unproven drugs from Merck and Pfizer, your doctor is allowed to treat you without fear of losing his license or getting fully blackballed. But he could never recommend ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine because, well, they seem to work really well and they are generic. Two bad deals for the medical establishment when it comes to COVID-19. In any case, Yahoo News continues, if you have COVID, be sure to get plenty of rest, hydrate well, and use over-the-counter medications as throat lozenges, or such as throat lozenges. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. They're recommending rest and hydration and maybe even throat lozenges? That's all potentially useful, actually very useful. Rest and hydration in particular, shocking. More actual facts coming out from a doctor talking about COVID. But he also says you should use pain relievers like ibuprofen and fever-lowering medications like acetaminophen or Tylenol. Wait a minute. Okay, okay yes, yes, yes. If your fever's really high, be my guest. Use Tylenol or ibuprofen. But if it's not super high, that is your immune system working for you. Let's not forget that that's what the immune system does. It fights off infections with a fever that's how it's supposed to work. Why are we shutting that down? So you can feel better and get sicker? How about feeling less well, more feverish, and getting better? Now, I'm not your doctor, and I don't pretend to be your doctor, but I am one who likes simple things, old-fashioned ideas like common sense. If a fever is one of your primary defenses against illness, against infection. Why are we turning the temperature down? You can safely withstand a fever that gets pretty high up in that 104 range. And that's okay because that's what works. 
to kill off infection. So thanks, Dr. Singh, for that useless bit of recommendation. And people continue to ask, how can I protect myself from Omicron? Without a doubt, the best means of protection against COVID altogether is to get vaccinated. That is a full series and the recommended booster. If you haven't already, he says, really, Dr. Singh, is that what we're doing? Are we singing the song of the previous propaganda campaign? Because we're talking about Omicron now. Now, the story about COVID-19 and vaccination is gigantic. I've talked about it. I'll continue to talk about it. But when it comes to Omicron, this is one of the easiest recommendations to debunk, and I will get to that very soon. But remember what he said, the best, without a doubt, means of protection against COVID altogether is to get vaccinated and boosted. In addition to vaccination, he says social distancing remains an important part of protection from Omicron. If possible, try to maintain a safe distance of at least six feet apart from others, minimizing physical contact and wearing an appropriately fitting mask to reduce the risk of COVID. Now, there's still zero evidence that social distancing does anything to prevent COVID. There's just, there's no evidence at all. In addition, there's no evidence that masks actually work, but loads of evidence that they do not and cause more harm than good. They never mention that part, though, do they? They just say do it because, well, that's what you've been told to do. So just do it. Of course, after two years of people saying this, the CDC has admitted that cloth masks really don't offer that much protection. Maybe N95 masks or even respirators. But if you are going to wear a cloth mask, they say put a surgical mask underneath it. Double mask. That's how we protect ourselves. And yet, have you noticed with Omicron, like I said last week, everybody seems to be getting a cold. The Omicron symptoms are basically consistent with the cold. In fact, they're almost identical to a cold in almost every case. And people who are backing up the lines into the street at the testing centers are often the people who are wearing masks and social distancing and vaccinated to prevent getting COVID. This stuff just doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up. Dr. Singh continues, a PCR test is considered the gold standard test to detect all variants of COVID, including Omicron, he says. Antigen or rapid tests are also useful to detect disease, but they are known to be less sensitive. And I love this. Ideally, a negative antigen test result should be followed by a PCR test for a definitive answer. So in other words, if you test once and don't succeed, test and test again. If either a PCR or an antigen test is positive, then you are actively infected with the disease. No, you're not, doctor. You're not. Because we know that the PCR test in particular, it has a very high rate of false positives. We know this. That's already been proven multiple times. And he says unequivocally, if you show positive, you are infected. Absolutely not true. You certainly might be infected, but you still don't know, which is why I believe testing is so worthless. But again, I'm just a guy who thinks I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. Just a guy with a podcast. But I'm telling you, if you actually think through some of this stuff, it 
does start to sound like common sense. Not the propaganda, (laughs) the actual facts, you know, the things that are being fact checked. All right. So the bottom line, this is how Yahoo ends their story. While you can rest easily knowing that becoming infected with Omicron is likely to be less severe if you're vaccinated, continue to do your best to avoid becoming infected altogether. It can't be said enough. If you still haven't gotten vaccinated, schedule your appointment to do so today. Is that so, Yahoo? Is that so, Dr. Singh? Then why does CNBC say this? A fourth shot of COVID-19 vaccine boosts antibodies to even higher levels than the third jab, but it is not enough to prevent Omicron infections, according to a study in Israel. Israel's Sheba Medical Center has given second booster shots in a trial among its staff and is studying the effect of the Pfizer booster and the Moderna booster. These were compared to a control group that did not receive the fourth shot. Those in the Moderna group had previously received three shots of Pfizer's vaccine, the hospital said. The vaccines led to an increase in the number of antibodies, and I love this next little bit, an increased number of antibodies even a little bit higher than what we saw after the third dose. Yet, this is probably not enough for the Omicron she told reporters. We know by now that the level of antibodies needed to protect and not to get infected from Omicron is probably too high for the vaccine, even if it's a good vaccine, (laughs) which leaves me to question if this particular Israeli doctor believes it's a good vaccine, but who knows? I'm speculating there. But I'm going to read that again. It's important. We know by now that the level of antibodies needed to protect and not to get infected from Omicron is probably too high for the vaccine. And she's talking about two doses plus two boosters, four total doses of vaccine, not enough to protect against Omicron. And because of time, I'm not going to read to you the African study that says the same thing. But we have two studies now showing these vaccines don't work for Omicron. And in the case of the Israeli study, even after a fourth dose. The findings, which the hospital said were the first of its kind in the world, were preliminary and they have not yet been published. Israel was the fastest country to roll out initial vaccinations against COVID a year ago. And last month started offering a fourth shot or a second booster to the most vulnerable and high-risk groups. Listen, I could go on and on. But I mainly wanted to make sure that the idea of fact-checking actual facts without providing any proof that the facts are wrong makes no sense. The headlines work, though, for some people, and that is a problem. So to reiterate, one last thing that Dr. Singh said, he said, without a doubt, without a doubt, your best way to protect yourself from Omicron, he did not say COVID, he did not say Delta or alpha, he said, Omicron is to get the vaccine and the recommended boosters. Well, in Israel, they're on their fourth dose. And according to someone actually in the field at a hospital doing the research on people who've had four doses, she says, we know by now that the level of antibodies needed to protect and not get infected from Omicron is probably too high for the vaccine. So Dr. Singh, I hate to say it, but you've been fact-checked. How does it feel? It's it's pretty annoying, right? 
except that you gave no facts. I didn't have anything to check. I just had hyperbole, but I was able to use my fingers and dig around on Google for a few minutes and find out that you are wrong. You're not an expert, apparently, when it comes to COVID. You are reminiscent of that guy, Sanjay Gupta, who also seems to know a lot about COVID until you actually listen to what he's saying and recognize he's not an expert either. What they're saying is not based in science. Wear a mask, double mask, get the vaccine, get the recommended boosters, social distance. None of that's based in science. It's based in dogma. And dogma and science are not the same thing. All right. I'm going to move on to the last part of the show. We're just about ready to wrap up. And I want to wrap up with two things that aren't about me ranting about these ridiculous propaganda-filled news stories that pop up on my phone all day long. How about some things that might actually help? So remember, if you, if you didn't hear it, episode 198 is all about things that may actually help with Omicron based on actual research that's been done on things that may actually help with Omicron. Okay. And I talked about vitamin C and I talked about zinc and I talked about vitamin D and I talked about quercetin and I talked about NAC. Those are the things that made that episode. But a couple of things have come to me recently that I have thought, you know, I need to get this information out there on the air as well. In fact, it's three things we're going to talk about, one of which I've actually talked about in some depth, but I'm going to reiterate it because I found some stuff that I am really excited about. So we'll start there. Remember Dr. McCullough? He was on episode 175, I believe, of the Vitality Radio podcast. I could be wrong on that, but uh, it's it's in that range. Pretty sure it's 175. I forgot to write that one down. But Dr. McCullough was on. He was also on the Joe Rogan Experience. And on both of those shows, he talked about rinsing your mouth and your nose with povidone iodine or food-grade hydrogen peroxide. And what I've decided, I've been sort of messing around and trying to figure out what's the best way to do this. And I think the best way for most people, because a lot of people already have this at home, is probably a neti pot. If you have a neti pot or that sort of a device that you can shove liquid saline up your nose, um, then that's a great way to cleanse, cleanse your sinus uh, cavity, and you can add povidone iodine or you can add food-grade hydrogen peroxide to that and uh, clean things out. Colloidal silver would be another option that a lot of people are recommending. The idea being that this stuff kind of hangs out and percolates in the nose and the mouth for a few days before you actually get sick, before you're you know fully infected. And so if you come into contact with someone who's been sick or you've been somewhere where you think you've been exposed or you just want to do kind of a daily preventative thing, those make really good sense because they're pretty non-invasive. They're very economical. They're effective and they don't have any side effects associated with them. If you use those things correctly, you're not going to hurt yourself. So those are options. But I've actually come across a couple things that I really like. And what's been happening is, well, I've been coming into contact with a lot of people that appear to have at least a cold, if not Omicron. And therefore, I would like to not get sick and miss more time. And, you know, I like my job and I like being healthy. So I don't want to get sick 
any more than you do. Although I'm kind of okay with being exposed because I sure love that idea of, uh, you know, natural immunity. And at some point, I'll probably get knocked down with Omicron. It appears that almost everybody is, but maybe not. So what do we do to prevent it? Well, what I'm doing and what I have done, and so far it has proven to be very effective, at least in the fact that so far I'm not sick, is I'm using colloidal silver as a nasal spray. I love it for that. And I have felt twice over the last few weeks, like I might be coming down with something, a little bit of scratchy throat, a little bit of runny nose. And I've shot that colloidal silver nasal spray up into my nostrils multiple times a day. And by the next day, I'm feeling good. I'm one, two punching it with something else. And that is a food grade hydrogen peroxide rinse that's designed for oral care. It's in fact called brushing rinse because it's designed to brush your teeth with. But it's just a mouthwash basically um, that you swish in your mouth and that hydrogen peroxide in there wipes out bacterial and viral things that are in there, oxygenates the cells in the mouth, uh, the gums and all the good stuff that you need healthy and getting the blood flowing and oxygenation, the food grade hydrogen peroxide is fantastic for. So I've been swishing with that, nasal spraying with colloidal silver, and I think that's now my favorite one-two punch for what it's worth. Again, not your doctor, but that's what I'm doing. And what's the hubbub about black seed oil? Do you know? If you haven't heard of black seed oil, well, it's really interesting stuff. There's some really good information coming out, and there's some stuff right on the government's website, the CDC themselves, talking about black seed oil as a possible option. Now, is the CDC actually talking about it? No. But has it been published in medical journals? Yes. But of course, they wouldn't talk about it. It's natural. You can't put a patent on it, and it's not a drug, so what's the point? Where's the money in that? But Australian researchers, yes, in Australia, they actually have researchers that aren't locked in their homes, apparently, have found that seeds of the plant Nigella sativa, better known as Kalonji, I'm not sure how you pronounce that exactly, but we'll say Nigella sativa, could be utilized in the treatment of COVID-19 infection. Black seed oil is extracted from Nigella seeds and has been used in traditional medicine for over 2,000 years due to its many therapeutic benefits. The flowering plant native to North Africa and Western Asia has been used for centuries as a traditional remedy for multiple medical conditions, including inflammation and infections. A team from the University of Technology in Sydney found an active ingredient in nigella can prevent the SARS-CoV-2 virus leading to COVID-19 from causing a lung infection. There is growing evidence, they say, from modeling studies that thymoquinone, thymoquinone, Uh, is the active ingredient in nigella, more commonly known, again, as black seed, can stick to the COVID-19 virus spike protein and stop the virus from causing a lung infection, said lead author Kaniz Fatima Shad, uh, the professor at uh, the university. It may also block the cytokine storm that affects seriously ill patients who are hospitalized with COVID-19. Now, Thymoquinone is interesting because it resembles very closely hydroxychloroquine, which, of course, if you say that, then clearly you're a quack and don't know anything except that all the evidence from hundreds of doctors here in the States and thousands of doctors worldwide showing that it does work for COVID-19. But, of course, that fact will be checked over and over again with bogus facts and assertions from people who don't back up their fake facts 
with anything. But hydroxychloroquine, of course, is difficult to come by, as is ivermectin, and it appears that black seed oil may be a natural alternative to it. So I'm going to be doing a lot of research on black seed oil this week, and I'll be presenting more information on Vitality Radio next week. So that's uh, kind of part one of the black seed oil story. Very interesting stuff for sure. But black seed oil has a ton of other benefits. It's We've carried it for years at Vitality Nutrition. And we've sold it for years, way before COVID was a thing, and people like it for a variety of different reasons. But maybe there's real promise in it for COVID as well. Okay, and the last thing I want to talk about is so simple that even Dr. Singh recommended it, and that is hydration. I do a lot of nutritional consulting at Vitality, and when people come in, they fill out a little form that gives me a few basics about their health, one of which is how much water they drink. The first thing I've recognized is that most people don't know. Most people don't know how much water they drink. They take a stab at it, and when I start quizzing them a little bit, usually their stab is not quite what it ends up being uh, in reality. And so I ask them to track their water, and I would ask you to do the same thing. Track your water. Now, according to a group that I don't normally agree with, but that is making some sense here, the Institute of Medicine uh, looked at survey data to find out about Americans' average daily water intake, uh, and they published a comprehensive study back in 2005. Doctors still refer to these recommendations today, and they include 3.7 liters, that's almost a gallon uh, for men per day, approximately 13 cups, and 2.7 liters for women, approximately nine cups, in the form of beverages, meaning it doesn't have to be water, it just has to be something water containing, but beware that uh, soda, uh, caffeinated soda in particular, and coffee and tea, while containing mostly water, do have a little bit of a um, diuretic effect, or in some cases, a high diuretic effect. So they can actually backfire on you just a little bit, push a little extra water out. So optimally, it's pure water or water without caffeine in it anyway. But it's all sources. Milk, juice, those types of things count as well. But that's a lot more water than you're probably drinking. Now, a lot of other experts will say at least 50% of your body weight in ounces. So if you weigh 200 pounds, you take 100 ounces a day. I would say that would be the minimum. That's the minimum you should shoot for. Optimally, it's probably closer to 60 or 70% of your body weight in water, potentially more. Why does this matter? Well, it matters so much. For one thing, we now have new evidence that's just been published showing that acidosis is one of the major factors in severe COVID-19 infection. But I would also say that it is a major factor in almost all disease. And that is when we have too much acid in our fluids in our body. And how do we reduce acid in the fluids of our body, basically three ways. More water to just purge things out. That's number one. It's always number one. And you want to make sure it's clean water, not tap water. For more information, you can certainly call us at Vitality to ask about water options, if you like. 801-292-6662. But also, there's a product I talked about on the radio with a guy named Burt Golding not too long ago called Cell Power. Cell power has been shown to actually help alkalize the water, and it has the key electrolytes that help to make sure that water is getting into and out of the cells as it should for true cellular hydration. Uh, 
Another option would be Endure Drops. Now, I personally use Cell Power and Endure Drops. I use Cell Power typically in one or maybe two bottles of water a day. I use Endure Drops in the balance. Endure Drops are just four key electrolytes, magnesium, potassium, sodium, and calcium in a very high bioavailable form that allows the water that you drink to be more hydrating. And I truly believe you can get away with less water and get more hydration if you're using cell power or Endure Drops. I think you'll also feel better. But optimally, you're getting that higher level of water plus the minerals because the minerals in those two products, cell power and Endure Drops, and I'm not going to go into great detail basically running out of time here, but uh, you can ask us again at Vitality about which one might be right for you, cell power or Endure Drops, but you add it to your water, it makes your water more hydrating, it makes your water more alkaline, which then reduces acidosis in the body. I do believe that one of the biggest reasons that people are susceptible to illness of all kinds is classic and long-lasting dehydration. And I haven't talked about it enough, We've got to get our water level up, period. So those are the recommendations I have for you today. Again, I'm not your doctor. I don't claim to be your doctor. Those are the things that I do to optimize my health. I have not started taking black seed oil. I'm doing the research on it. I don't know if I will or I won't. Certainly happy to let you know, but I'm going to present more information on black seed oil on next week's episode. For now, this is the end of episode 200 of the Vitality Radio podcast, and I am so excited to bring you 200 more. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing these episodes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It means the world to me. I appreciate you so very much. I hope you have an absolutely beautiful week ahead of you. Stay well, my friends. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched produced and written by jared st Clair. our awesome music is by brian bob young support vitality radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on apple podcasts youtube or your favorite podcast source don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.